Hello, and welcome to the Time Dulled Chain. I'm Kevin Barrett, and we're reading Ulysses by James Joyce. We are in chapter one, at the very beginning, on page three. Stately, plump Buck Mulligan came from the stairhead, bearing a bowl of lather on which a mirror and razor lay crossed. A yellow dressing gown, ungirdled, was sustained gently behind him on the mild morning air. He held the bowl aloft and intoned, Introibo al altare dei! Halted, he peered down the dark winding stairs and called out coarsely, Come up, Kinch! Come up, you fearful Jesuit! Solemnly, he came forward and mounted the round gunrest. He faced about and blessed gravely thrice the tower, the surrounding land, and the awakening mountains. Then, catching sight of Stephen Dedalus, he bent towards him and made rapid crosses in the air, gurgling in his throat and shaking his head. Stephen Dedalus, displeased and sleepy, leaned his arms on top of the staircase and looked coldly at the shaking, gurgling face that blessed him, equine in its length, and at the light, untonsured hair, grained and hued like pale oak. Buck Mulligan peeped an instant under the mirror and then covered the bowl smartly. "'Back to the barracks!' he said sternly. He added in a preacher's tone, For this, O dearly beloved, is the genuine Christine, body and soul and blood and oins. Slow music, please. Slow your eyes, gents. One moment. A little trouble about those white corpuscles. Silence all. He peered sideways up and gave a long, slow whistle of call, then paused a while in rapt attention, his even white teeth glistening here and there with gold points. Chrysostomos. Two strong, shrill whistles (laughs) answered through the calm. "'Thanks, old chap,' he cried briskly. "'That will do nicely. Switch off the current, will you?' He skipped off the gunrest and looked gravely at his watcher, gathering about his legs the loose folds of his gown. The plump, shadowed face and sullen oval jowl were called a prelate, patron of arts in the Middle Ages. A pleasant smile broke quietly over his lips." "'The mockery of it!' he said gaily. "'Your absurd name, an ancient Greek!' He pointed his finger in friendly jest and went over to the parapet, laughing to himself. Stephen Dedalus stepped up, followed him wearily halfway, and sat down on the edge of the gunrest, watching him still as he propped his mirror on the parapet, dipped the brush in the bowl, and lathered cheeks and neck. Buck Mulligan's gay voice went on. "'My name is absurd, too. Malachi Mulligan, two dactyls!' But it has a Hellenic ring, hasn't it? Tripping and sunny like the buck himself. We must go to Athens. Will you come if I can get the aunt to fork out twenty quid? He laid the brush aside and, laughing with delight, cried, Will he come? The jejun Jesuit! Ceasing, he began to shave with care. Tell me, Mulligan, Stephen said quietly. Yes, my love? How long is Haynes going to stay in this tower? Buck Mulligan showed a shaven cheek over his right shoulder. "'God, isn't he dreadful?' he said frankly. "'A a ponderous Saxon. He thinks you're not a gentleman. God, these bloody English, bursting with money and indigestion, because he comes from Oxford. You know, Dedalus, you have the real Oxford manner. He can't make you out. Oh, my name for you is the best. Kinch the knife blade.' He shaved warily over his chin. "'He was raving all night about a black panther,' Stephen said. "'Where is his gun case?' "'A woeful lunatic,' Mulligan said. "'Were you in a funk?' "'I was,' Stephen said with energy and growing fear. "'Out here in the dark with a man I don't know, "'raving and moaning to himself about shooting a black panther. "'You save men from drowning. "'I'm not a hero, however. "'If he stays here, I am off.' 
Buck Mulligan frowned at the leather on his razor blade. He hopped down from his perch and began to search his trouser pockets hastily. Scudder! he cried thickly. He came over to the gun rest and, thrusting a hand into Stephen's upper pocket, said, Lend us a loan of your nose rag to wipe my razor. Stephen suffered him to pull out and hold up on show by its corner a dirty, crumpled handkerchief. Buck Mulligan wiped the razor blade neatly. Then, gazing over the handkerchief, he said, The bard's nose rag, a new art color for our Irish poets, snot green. You can almost taste it, can't you? He mounted to the parapet again and gazed out over Dublin Bay, his fair, oak-pale hair stirring slightly. God, he said quietly, isn't the sea what algae calls it, a great sweet mother? The snot-green sea, the scrotum-tightening sea, epi onipa ponton. Ah, Daedalus, the Greeks, I must teach you. You must read them in the original. Thalata, Thalata, she is our great sweet mother. Come and look. Stephen stood up and went over to the parapet. Leaning on it, he looked down on the water and on the mailboat clearing the harbor mouth of Kingstown. Our mighty mother, Buck, Bull Buck Mulligan said. He turned abruptly, his gray searching eyes from the sea to Stephen's face. The aunt thinks you killed your mother, he said. That's why she won't let me have anything to do with you. Someone killed her, Stephen said gloomily. You could have knelt down, damn it, Kinch, when your dying mother asked you, Buck Mulligan said. I'm hyperbean as much as you, but to think of your mother begging you with her last breath to kneel down and pray for her, and you refused. There is something sinister in you. He broke off and lathered again lightly his farther cheek. A tolerant smile curled his lips. But a lovely mummer, he murmured to himself. Kinch, the loveliest mummer of them all. He shaved evenly and with care, in silence, seriously. Stephen, an elbow rested on the jagged granite, leaned his palm against his brow and gazed at the fraying edge of his shiny black coat sleeve. Pain, that was not yet the pain of love, fretted his heart. Silently, in a dream she had come to him after her death, her wasted body within his loose brown grave clothes, giving off an odor of wax and rosewood, her breath that had bent upon him, mute, reproachful, a faint odor of wetted ashes. Across the threadbare cuffage he saw the sea hailed as a great sweet mother by the well-fed voice beside him. A ring of bay and skyline held dull green mass of liquid. A bowl of white china had stood beside her deathbed, holding the green sluggish bile which she had torn up from her rotting liver by fits of loud groaning vomiting. Buck Mulligan wiped again his razor blade. Ah, poor dog's body, he said in a kind voice. I must give you a shirt and a few nose rags. How are the second-hand breeks? They fit well enough, Stephen answered. Buck Mulligan attacked the hollow beneath, beneath his underlip. The mockery of it he said contentedly. Second leg they should be. God knows what poxy bows he left them off. I have a lovely pair with a hair stripe, gray. You'll look spiffing in them. I'm not joking, Kinch. You look damn well when you're dressed. Thanks, Stephen said. I can't wear them if they are gray. He can't wear them, Buck told his face in the mirror. Etiquette is etiquette. He kills his mother, but he can't wear gray trousers. He folded his razor neatly and with stroking palps of fingers felt the smooth skin. Stephen turned his, turned his gaze from the sea and to the plump face with its smoke-blue mobile eyes. "'That fellow I was in the ship last night,' said Buck Mulligan. "'Says you have G.P.I. He's up in Dottyville with Connolly Norman. General paralysis of the insane!' He swept the mirror in a half-circle in the air to flash the tidings abroad in sunlight now radiant on the sea. 
His curling, shaving lips laughed in the edges of his white, glittering teeth. Laughter seized all his strong, well-knit trunk. Look at you, he said, you dreadful bard. Stephen bent forward and peered at the mirror held out to him, cleft by a crooked crack, hair on end, as he and others see me. Who chose this face for me, this dog's body to rid of vermin? It asks me, too. I pinched it out of the skivvy's room, Buck Mulligan said. It does her all right. The aunt's always keeping plain-looking servants for Malachi, lead him not into temptation, and her name is Ursula. Laughing again, he brought the mirror away from Stephen's peering eyes. The rage of Caliban at not seeing his face in a mirror, he said. If Wilde were only alive to see you... Drawing back face and pointing, Stephen said with bitterness, It is a symbol of Irish art, the cracked looking glass of a servant. Buck Mulligan suddenly linked his arm in Stephen's and walked around his tower, his, his razor and mirror clacking in the pocket where he had thrust them. It's not fair to tease you lack that kinch, is it? He said kindly. God knows you have more spirit than any of them. Parried again. He fears the lancet of my art as I fear that of his, the cold steel pen. Cracked looking goss of a servant. Tell that to the oxy chap downstairs and touch him for a guinea. He's stinking with money. He thinks you're not a gentleman. The old fellow made his tin by selling jollop to Zulus or some bloody swindle or other. God, Kinch, if you and I could only work together, we might do something for the island. Hellenize it. Cranley's arm. His arm. And to think of your having to beg from these swine. I'm the only one that knows what you are. Why won't you trust me more? What have you up against, up your nose against me? Is it Haynes? If he makes any noise, I'll bring down Seymour, and we'll give him a ragging worse than they gave Clive Kempthorpe. Young shouts of moneyed voices in Clive Kempthorpe's rooms. Pale faces. They hold their ribs with laughter, clasping one another. Oh, I shall expire. Break the news to her gently, Aubrey. I shall die. With slit ribbons of his shirt, whipping the air, he hops and hobbles round the table, with trousers down at his heels, chased by ads of Magdalene with the traitor's shears. A scared calf's face gilded with marmalade. I don't want to be debagged. Don't you play the giddy ox with me. Shouts from the open window startling evening in the quadrangle. A deaf gardener, aproned, masked with Matthew Arnold's face, pushes his mower on the somber lawn, watching narrowly the dancing motes of grasshams. To ourselves, new paganism, omphalos. Let him stay, Stephen, Stephen said. There is nothing wrong with him except at night. Then what is it? Buck Mulligan asked impatiently. Cough it up, I'm quite frank with you. What have you against me now? They halted, looking quietly towards the blunt cape of Brayhead that lay on the water like the snout of a sleeping whale. Stephen freed his arm quietly. Do you wish me to tell you? he asked. Yes, what is it? Buck Mulligan answered. I don't remember anything. He looked in Stephen's face as he spoke. A light wind passed his brow, fanning softly his fair, uncombed hair and stirring silver points of anxiety in his eyes. Stephen, depressed by his own voice, said, Do you remember the first day I went to your house after my mother's death? Buck Mulligan frowned quickly and said, What? Where? I can't remember anything. I remember only ideas and sensations. Why? What happened in the name of God? You were making tea, Stephen said, and went across the landing to get more hot water. Your mother and some visitor came out of the drawing room. She asked you what was in your room. Yes, Buck Mulligan said. What did I say? I forget. You said, Stephen answered. Oh, it's only Daedalus, whose mother is beastly dead. A flush which made, which made him seem younger and more engaging rose to Buck Mulligan's cheek. Did I say that? he asked. Well, what harm is that? 
He shook his constraint from, his ner from him nervously. And what is death? He asked. Your mother's or yours or my own. You saw only your mother die. I see them pop off every day in the mater and Richmond, cut up into tripes in the dissecting room. It's a beastly thing and nothing else. It simply doesn't matter. You wouldn't kneel down to pray for your mother on her deathbed when she asked you why. Because you have the cursed Jesuit strain in you. It's, the, it's only injected in the wrong way. To me, it's all mockery and beastly. Her cerebral lobes are not functioning. She calls the doctor, Sir Peter Teasel, and picks buttercups off the quilt. Humor her till it's over. You crossed her last wish in death, yet you sulk with me because I don't whinge like some hired mute from La, from La Lutz. Absurd. I suppose I did say it. I didn't mean to offend the memory of your mother. He had spoken himself into boldness. Stephen, shielding the gaping wounds which the words had left in his heart, said very coldly, I am not thinking of the offense to my mother. Of what, then? Buck Mulligan asked. Of the offense to me, Stephen answered. Buck Mulligan swung round on his heel. Oh, an impossible person, he exclaimed. He walked off quickly round the parapet. Stephen stood at his post, gazing over the calm sea towards the headland. Sea and headland now grew dim. Pulses were beating in his eyes, veiling their sight, and he felt the fever of his cheeks. We end today in the middle of page eight, and I'm sorry for mispronouncing nearly everything, especially the Greek, and I will see you next time.